You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Book of Romans. Now looking at Romans U. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Welcome back. We are at a significant transition point in the letter of Romans. The first 11 chapters are the theological foundation for all the practical teaching that will follow, starting in chapter 12. So let's review. Because of our sin, none of us could ever earn right standing with God, Romans 1 to 3. Only by favor, unmerited favor, can we be justified not by works of law, chapters 4 and 5. The new life begins with death, chapter 6, proceeds through struggle, chapter 7, and lays hold of life, chapter 8. Since the Jews are subject to the same gospel, none of them can be saved apart from this process. One wonders about national Israel, ethnic Israel. That issue is addressed in chapters 9 to 11. Now Paul transitions into the application of the good news to daily life, particularly church life. So these chapters don't so much commend private virtue as public behavior. Christianity is not just intended to make us feel better about ourselves or have improved lives. It's to help us to be the body of Christ. It's not so much about the person, it's about the people. Paul begins, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I urge us to read this passage in its context. He begins saying, therefore. He's referring to something. He's referring to not just the previous chapter or that beautiful conclusion that we looked at last time, verses 33 to 36. I think he's looking back at the entire letter. Therefore, by the mercies of God, one version says, in view of God's mercy. We are justified by His grace, even though we are weak, godless, uh, we are sinners, we're enemies. And for ethnic Israel, speaking generally, uh, ethnic Israel was, was faithless, was treacherous. God is incredibly merciful, giving a second chance. Israel, a second chance to every one of us. So in view of God's mercy, his grace, Paul makes this appeal to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is not something that we we do when we drop by church. It's our body. He's not saying that we, we persevere through an arduous church service once a week. No, the body is every day 
a sacrifice. Church is a very small part of our week, if you really think about it. This is a daily reality. It's a decision I have to make every day. I don't feel like sacrificing. I still, I mean, I rejoice in God's truth, but there's a part of me that's Romans 7, just like you. So he urged us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That means we need to live in a holy way. We need to find out what pleases the Lord. That is our spiritual worship. Some versions say reasonable service. Both translations are accurate. How are you going to do that? What is he asking us to do? Well, he says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So powerful currents are flowing. And we must not be like this age. And and if Christians are no different in their tastes and their lifestyle, their the entertainment, how they use their time, their priorities, no different than the people next door who aren't Christians, well, you can be quite sure they're not living as the, the kind of life that, that Paul's discussing, holy and pleasing to God. When we reject the values of the age, we feel it. It's hard. You can feel the wind blowing against you, or you can feel the current trying to drag you the other way. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Remember, the mind of the Spirit is life. The mind of the flesh is death. Chapter 8, all those uh, nourishing scriptures that we study. And if we do this, if we're renewed in our mind, then we can know what God's will is. But be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You don't just look up God's will at some website or, or read a book and find out what he wants you to do. It's about the kind of people we are. When we're transformed to be like Christ, and this ties into Romans eight twenty nine, the destination of the bus is Jesus Christ. God brings good out of even hard circumstances, but it's in accordance with his plan that we become like Christ. And that happens when we suffer, Romans eight seventeen, And that's how character is built in the first place, Romans 5, uh, verse 5. Transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we can discern God's will. Many, hundreds of books are sold in Christian bookshops on how to know God's will for your life. That is not the way the Bible approaches it. To know God's will, yes, you need to study the scripture, you need to get advice from others and so forth. But to make the right kinds of choices and and not to make the wrong choices, we need to be a different kind of person, more Christ-like, have the mind of Christ. That requires that we be transformed. Then we, we know the will of God because we have different eyes to see and ears to hear. Okay. Let's wrap up this section and go on. So in view of God's mercy to all men, Gentile and Jew alike, a certain response is demanded. Not a vague feeling of gratitude or a complacent sense of relief, but something much more radical, a transformation. And that, in a sense, is just an extension of the break we made with the flesh in baptism. It's an extension of our personal crucifixion. Chapter 6, verse 6. And then we have this word transformed. It's one of my favorite words. It's rare. Metamorphotomai, 
they would they would say metamorphomai, but metamorphomai appears only at the end of Second Corinthians three and here, and it means to be changed in form, to be transformed. And yes, you can hear it; it's related to the word metamorphosis. That metamorphosis will evidence itself in many areas. Love, joy, peace, the so-called fruits of the Spirit. Power, love, and discipline, as we read about in 2 Timothy 1. It's changed in, it, it, it shows up in, in the way we change in our interactions with others, particularly when we're frustrated or disapproved of or being persecuted. We, if we don't go for it, my friends, uh, we will not be transformed. If we're not growing, we're shrinking. If we're not going forward, we're going backward. And you'd say, yeah, but I go backward, but at least I, I get God's grace and I make a fresh start. Yes, but it, it weakens us. The more we slip over and over, the more we mess up, the weaker we become. The more, uh, let's say, the deeper the, the rut is, the groove. So we dare not sin recklessly so that grace will increase. Instead, we need to allow the transforming power of the Spirit to work in us. Transformation enables us to better discern the will of God. To the extent that we're not changing, growing, uh, we comprehend less and less of God's will, and we make poorer decisions. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And then he talks about the body and the gifts. And that part is quite similar to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. You'll see a lot of parallels between Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 3 is, is key. He urges us to think of ourselves humbly, modestly. And I want to zero in on this sentence. Think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Often I've heard that read as some people, because they have a great background, they're brought up in a Christian home, they were given more faith. Other people come from a worldly background. Or some people by personality tend to doubt and fret, whereas others have an easy time believing. I suppose there's some truth to that observation, but I don't think that's coming from verse 3. This is different. God distributes a measure of faith. And then he goes right into talk about these gifts. Think of the gifts as being playing cards. You're dealt a hand. You have to play your hand. I'm sorry if you didn't get uh, all aces and kings. You just have a bunch of threes and fours, but you can still make a good play. You can do what's wise. You can play in a way that makes sense. We're, we're, we're dealt different hands. I don't want it to press this, this too far, but it, it, I certainly don't want it to, to feel fatalistic. Oh, so there are limits. I can't really grow. No, you can grow. There's an emphasis on being transformed. And yet, that's not going to transform a tone-deaf person into the worship director. It's not going to make someone of poor self-esteem who's a bully into a spiritual leader of men or women. It's not going to change us 
if we're not able to change, some things won't change. Our fundamental personality will not change. What can change is our character, and that we've discussed um, in the first part of Romans 5. That's vital, to be realistic about what our gifts are and our weaknesses, because we were meant to use these things to build up the body. We're not blowing our own horn. We're using them to serve others, and we need each other. We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. See, we, we Western people, we hear in Western culture, we hear the word individual, and they say, yeah, individual rights, uh, individual pleasure, individual, you know, it's all about me and my plans. Paul says, we're individually members of one another. Yes, you have a life, and there is a private dimension, but it's also public, and it's part of the body of Christ. The list that he gives, uh, seven gifts, is certainly not exhaustive. Paul gives us several other lists. In fact, in the New Testament, you'll find five lists of gifts. If you really want to pursue this, I've, I've analyzed it in my book, The Spirit. We're not going to go into it quite so deep right here. This seems to be a representative list of gifts. If prophecy is non-miraculous, which I suspect it is, then none of these is a miraculous gift. Uh, People hear gifts of the Spirit and assume gifts of the Spirit must be miraculous. But in the Bible, most gifts of the Spirit are non-miraculous. That is, they're natural, not supernatural. And I also notice that the list is in no particular order. We might say, well, leadership, that should be at the top. Well, it's not. Apostles and prophets and teachers are at the top in a different list in the New Testament, but that's probably because the Corinthians were getting too excited about speaking in miraculous languages, and so Paul puts that at the bottom of the list. And he puts the apostles at the top. There's a reason for that. But here, there seems to be no clear hierarchy of the gifts. It's representative gifts. The fact that there's seven should make us a little um, suspicious, not in a bad way, but Uh, that there's symbolism going on here. And these are gifts that many members of the body will possess. You know, it's okay to be different. There are a a number of um, Christian movements that emphasize imitating a trainer, a mentor. It's really like a guru, except guru is an Eastern word, and we, we want a Western word. So we like mentor or discipler or something like that. But training in the Bible is actually not about becoming just like the person helping us. Didn't Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ? Yes, he did. That's also in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul didn't tell them to follow him and don't take your wife with you. I don't think Paul was married. Or you have to keep moving to a different country every six months. Or you need to speak Greek, as Paul did. That's not what he meant. Follow me as I follow Christ. The problem is, if you put one gift at the top of your list and you exalt it, and that becomes the measure of one's spirituality, then you get something that doesn't really look like the body of Christ. Instead of being diverse, you get cult-like uniformity. Instead of uh, the beauty and the color 
of, uh, how would we say, heterogeneous expression of body life, everything's homogeneous. It's like a milkshake, uh, protein shake. You put the ingredients in there, you shake it up, and it's all the same. That's not the way it's meant to be. We are different, and that's okay. It's okay to be weak at something. Not to sin, but it's okay to be weak at something and strong in something else. These are our gifts. In fact, if we're going to imitate, the one we imitate is Christ. That brings out our diversity. Then and only then is the body of Christ truly working at a level of peak performance. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Romans. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.